What's up, guys? Great to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're here for our special summer series at the movies. Uh, I am pumped for this. We're looking at uh, five different Hollywood hits and the spiritual truth that's found in each film. And today, we're looking at my favorite movie of the summer. It's the blockbuster Wonder Woman. Do we have any fans with us today of Wonder Woman? Very excited for this. Um, this is now the, uh, the highest grossing film in North America. In fact, it is breaking box office records around the globe. About $800 million in ticket sales. And globally, Wonder Woman is now the most successful movie ever directed by a female director. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, Patty Jenkins is the talented artist who brought Princess Diana to life on screen. She chose Israeli actress Gal Gadot to play the iconic superhero. And the film tells the story of Princess Diana who grows up on the Amazon island of Themyscira. And after an American pilot crashes in the sea there, she rescues him. He tells her about this world war that's raging across the ocean. And Diana is moved with compassion, so she leaves her home to go help save innocent lives and end the conflict, and she becomes Wonder Woman in the process. Now, what's cool is Wonder Woman's kind of a study in contrast, right? She is both super strong and yet very sensitive. She is compassionate, but she is powerful. She kicks some serious butt, as you are about to see. Uh, but before we kind of break down the story and we're going to connect it to scripture, I want to watch the official trailer so it's fresh in your minds. But first, we got to give you some candy. You guys want some movie candy? Ushers, come on down, hand out some movie candy today. I think we got, what do we got? Milky Way, Snickers, Twix. We got chocolate today. Enjoy. It's okay during this series to snack in church, okay? That is completely fine. So take a candy, pass it down your row, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here's Wonder Woman. Fighting does not make you a hero. What if I promise to be careful? Just a shield then. Diana. No sharp edges. Be careful of mankind, Diana. They do not deserve you. You've told me this story. What is this place? Who are you people? We are the bridge to a greater understanding. Right. What is your mission? Well, here's the thing. You are in more danger than you think. The boys in the trenches called her Dr. Poison. Millions would die. The war would never end. I'm going, Mother. But if you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? We'll come when you... To the war. Well, technically the war is that way, but we gotta go this way first. How can a woman fight in this? Ooh. Who is this young woman? She's my, um... And, um... Diana, Princess of the Mystery. Prince, Diana Prince. believe that this war should stop. Help me stop it right now. 
You will soon find out. I said both male and female audiences alike have really uh, been transfixed by this iconic warrior princess, kind of earning rave reviews from really both sides of the aisle. In fact, it's kind of fun. I went to see the movie and uh, I took a group of middle school boys uh, to go see it. So we went to the theater and everything. We watched it. And I, I think they paid the ultimate compliment. On the way out, I overheard one of them say, you know who I want to be this Halloween? Wonder Woman. <laughs> I was like, that's saying a lot, you know, for a 12-year-old boy. Uh, I think what resonates is that Wonder Woman's kind of a complex hero, you know? She is that study in contrast. She is, she is super strong, but very sensitive. She's compassionate, but very confident. Unlike a lot of her male superhero counterparts, notice her, her mission isn't like motivated by revenge or some twisted backstory, you know, you killed my father, now I must kill you. She's motivated by love. Her real superpower is compassion because she hears about the suffering of innocent people and she sees this opportunity to help. When others say it's too dangerous or that a woman doesn't belong in battle, Diana does not shrink back. Instead, she kind of heads straight into harm's way to rescue total strangers, determined to defend those who can't fight for themselves. And that's really what we all long for in our hearts, isn't it? To be kind of summoned or called into some great adventure where lives are at stake where there is a sharp line snapped between good and evil, and in the end, love prevails. Truth, justice, redemption. It's a gospel story with some very compelling spiritual overtones. In fact, of all the reviews that I kind of read in my research, uh, this one caught my eye. It's by Marilette Sanchez. She's a New York City film reviewer, and she, her headline said, Wonder Woman might be the most accurate on-screen depiction of biblical womanhood, and here's why. Now, that's not a headline you read every day, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of break up today's sermon or message into three acts. Every movie has a, a three-act structure, so I wrote a three-act sermon for you. Uh, and for act one, I want to look at three big ideas about biblical womanhood that you can see in the film. Because the idea of a, of a woman as a warrior is actually not as far-fetched as you might think. What, what did God have in mind when he, when he fashioned woman in his image? For act two, I want to open the Gospels and see how Jesus overturned a lot of the gender bias and cultural restrictions in the first century world because it was Christianity. It was the good news of equality and freedom in Christ that really transformed the role of women in the ancient world. And then for act three, you see a couch up here. I'm going to bring up three female leaders at Liquid. These are real-life wonder women, so you can hear their experiences with female leadership uh, in the church. So if you're taking notes, we put some in your program if you want to open that up to follow along. I want to start by looking at three big ideas about biblical womanhood I think you can see under the hood of the film. In her review, Marilyn Sanchez wrote this. She said, I recently watched Wonder Woman, and it has haunted me ever since. Based on all the hype surrounding the film, I expected to feel empowered and inspired as a woman. That I did. I never expected, however, to be glued to my seat 
for over two hours, seeing one biblical truth after another being portrayed flawlessly on screen. Now, you may be like, you know, what is she talking about? This is like a comic book movie, you know, (laughs) like biblical womanhood. But if you're taking notes, I want to highlight really three biblical truths that I think you can see in this visual parable if you look closely. The first is this, that God views women as warriors, not sidekicks or afterthoughts. If you watch superhero movies, mainly women play the role of sidekick, right? They kind of, you know, bat their eyelashes or their damsel in distress. But the creator of the Wonder Woman comic, the original creator, William Marston, he was a psychologist at Harvard. He wrote this. He said, not even girls want to be girls so long as our feminine archetype lacks force, strength, and power. The obvious remedy is to create a feminine character with all the strength of Superman plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. See, Wonder Woman or Diana Prince is not your typical femme fatale, right? Yes, she kind of, you know, jumps off a cliff, she spins around with a sword and cuts down her enemies. But you'll notice in the movie, she doesn't like just, you know, randomly kill people and flaunt her sexuality. As Sanchez notes, Wonder Woman is the first superhero to be fully equipped in combat skill, yet purely motivated by love and not vengeance, or some other version of a complicated, bitter backstory. Now, where does this, like, warrior spirit come from, biblically? You have to go all the way back to Genesis, really the first book of the Bible that describes how God created the first man and the first woman, that is, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you'll see this in your notes, God said this. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a, what's this word, church? Let's say it together. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now, you can circle that word helper. I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew. The Hebrew word for helper is the word ezer. Can you say that with me? Ezer. Here's what most folks don't know. The word ezer is a military term. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. The first two times the word ezer appears is to describe Eve, the creation of the first woman. But then the next 16 times, God uses the word ezer to describe himself when he goes into battle on behalf of his beloved people, Israel. So Ezer actually means strong help from God. For instance, the psalmist refers to God as Ezer when he writes this. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my Ezer or my help come from? My Ezer or help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Did you catch this? God uses the term Ezer, strong help, to describe the creation of woman. And then he turns around and uses the same term to refer to his divine power in battle as a warrior. As Christians, we believe God is a mighty warrior. He is a strong helper in desperate situations. And women, you were created in his image. You're created in the image of God to follow suit. For some of you, it's like mind blown, okay? Because if you grew up in a church or perhaps a culture where maybe women were treated as afterthoughts, or in some way inferior to men. This is going to broaden your perspective on this biblical phrase, Ezer. You know, in online forums about the movie, I was struck. So many women commented that they cried during the movie, but not when you think. They didn't cry during an inspiring speech, or they didn't a tender love scene. Many women admitted crying when they saw Diana Prince storm the Nazi trenches. It's not that she gave some inspiring speech is that they had never seen a woman on screen literally embody the term Ezer, or strong help from God. 
that transfixed audiences. This is a visual picture of women helping men as warriors. Watch this. Stay here, I'll go ahead. Trevor, I believe you have something that is the property of General Ludendorff. Ah, it's the uh, bad guy convention. Give us Dr. Maru's notebook. Where did I put that thing? Stand back. you want to show me? That'll shatter some gender stereotypes. And so will the Bible if you read it carefully. Adam and Eve were meant to be partners, to work together as a team with the woman as this strong ezer or help in desperate situations. Biblical truth number one, God who created woman views women as warriors, not sidekicks and certainly not afterthoughts. What I love about Diana is that while she uses her power to help men throughout the movie, she never makes them feel belittled or emasculated. That's so, so interesting to me. She simply leverages her strength to ezer her male counterparts, not belittle them, to come alongside and fight together. And that's what biblical womanhood is all about. So if you're a woman in the church, let me just encourage you, you should never shrink back from using your leadership gifts. God created you on purpose. He created you for his purpose. And you should engage and exercise your, your talents, your gifts, your strength, your beauty, your courage, even your emotions for the glory of God and the good of other people. That's the second biblical truth you'll see in the film. It's that emotional vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. And that holds true, of course, for both men and women, but I think women in particular are often unfairly criticized, you know, for emotional vulnerability. It's like that old stereotype, you know, like, oh, showing emotion, you know, is a sign of weakness. In a featurette for the film, um, Patty Jenkins said, the greatest thing about Wonder Woman is how good and kind and loving she is, and yet none of that negates any of her power. There are several moments in the movie where Diana gets emotional, she sheds tears, and I was like, I'm watching this, I'm like, now you don't see most superheroes do this, right? Like, like Batman, he's not like, you know? He just kind of growls, where's Joker? You know, he just growls. The Hulk doesn't cry, he rages and smashes stuff, right? 
But the truth is, Wonder Woman's greatest superpower is not her golden cuffs. Her greatest power is not her lasso of truth. Her greatest superpower is compassion. It is this God-given ability to put herself in the shoes of others, especially those who are suffering, and then leverage that deep emotion to help them. You know, my wife Colleen has this gift. She is uh, the most compassionate person I know. In fact, she has two great superpowers. She can smell something rotten a mile away. She's like, you know, did you leave fast food in the car? I can smell it before you get home, you know. But the second thing is she has really the ability to embrace people who are hurting and just take them right into her heart. Um, It's really remarkable. It's a God-given gift. And if you have ever felt, you know, genuine warmth or, you know, care and compassion from me, you really can thank my wife. Because as a pastor, I've had a lot of coaches in ministry, but Colleen has been my greatest mentor when it comes to love. Loving unconditionally, which of course Jesus said is the whole point of life. So understand, in God's eyes, emotional vulnerability, it's not a sign of weakness, but of tremendous strength. It's compassion that fueled everything Jesus did. The shortest and most powerful verse in the Bible consists of two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept when he saw Jerusalem. Jesus wept when he saw his friend Lazarus dead. And that deep emotion born of tears and compassion fueled Jesus's ministry. So ladies, understand if Jesus wept, there is no shame in your emotional sensitivity. Men, that's true for you too. Your empathy is a God-given gift that allows you to identify with the pain of others, to, to, to pray and wage war for them. You go to battle for people you care about. Some of the most um, emotional people and the powerful people are the prayer team in our, in our church at every campus. You ever come up here at the end of service, they pray for you, that you find they are deeply compassionate people. And they summon that emotion to help hurting hearts and go to battle for you on their knees in prayer. So don't be afraid of emotion. In the eyes of God, emotional vulnerability is a strength. It's not a weakness. The third big idea you're going to see here about womanhood is really about the calling of God on your life, ladies. Simply put, God calls women to change the world. It's interesting. Uh, As soon as Diana kind of leaves her Amazon island and she gets in this cold reality of a world at war, all of a sudden, like, her hope and her tenderness and idealism seem out of place. And everywhere that she goes, she hears the word, no. (laughs) At home, her mother, who's kind of driven by fear, she tells Diana, no, you're not ready to go, you know? On her way to the front lines, every man she meets says, no, no, you can't enter the war room. No, you can't carry a sword on the street. No, you can't go into battle. But far from kind of dimming the light in her eyes, all those no's kindle this fire in her heart And that's when Diana's compassion and her calling fuse together. And she pushes through all these labels, all these limitations that society tries to put on her. And she becomes exactly who she was born to be. I think that's a struggle for a lot of women, at least the ones that I talk to. Am I right, ladies? Uh, Our society puts a lot of labels on women. There are a lot of expectations, right? I mean, You're expected to literally be like Wonder Woman. I had a few women say like, I hope you're not expecting us to look like this. You know, I can barely get out of bed. I get that, right? But what are the expectations of our culture, right? It's like, you better, you know, you got to do it all, right? You better excel, you know, in school. You've got to compete with guys on the playing field. You've got to build a career. You've got to compete and fight, you know, in the boardroom, you know, find a spouse, create a home that is Pinterest worthy, uh, you know, all while raising kids who are on the honor roll and they're college-bound, right? Do it all. Now, look, nothing's wrong with any one of those things. But the reality is, it is impossible 
to do all of them well at the same time. Our female leaders are going to talk about this in a few minutes. At the end of the day, there's no such thing as a real-life wonder woman or man. It's a movie, right? It's a myth. No man or woman can do it all. Unfortunately, your Father in Heaven never asks you to. He doesn't ask you to change the entire world. Your Father says, I want you to change your world with my help. Amen? God calls each of us to humble dependence on him. We, we actually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit day by day, hour by hour, to change our world. Think about your world, the one that he has given you unique responsibility for. That looks different for all of us, right? And a crowd this size is very different. It may mean for some of you, you know, pouring all your mind into your academic studies or being a voice on campus for God, right? It may mean giving leadership in a nine-to-five job in a classroom or maybe a corporate boardroom. It may mean serving in a ministry, being a voice for the voiceless, right? Helping rescue, you know, women from, you know, human trafficking or being a voice for those with special needs. For some of you, God may call you to be a, a, an Ezer, a dedicated wife, coming alongside a strong help to your husband. And if you have children, I mean, obviously, they are your world, right? They are your greatest calling. And your commitment, mom, right now, to say, you know what, I am going to be an all-there mom during these short formative years you literally have the potential to change a generation. The point is, be who God created you to be. You have a unique, one-of-a-kind role to play in the story that God's writing with your life. So don't listen to the voices of our culture and all these like expectations that the world wants to put you in a box. Break out into the God-given freedom that Jesus offers, amen? Live out of your identity. You are a daughter of the Most High God. And ladies, when you stand firm in your God-given identity, I'm a daughter of the king, you can change the world. You really can. That's what Jesus did for women in his world. I'm moving over here now to act two, okay? Before we bring out our, our, our panelists, I want to briefly talk about how Jesus overturned a lot of the gender bias and cultural expectations for women in his day because gender prejudice was very strong in the first century culture. I included a few of these historical details in your notes that may surprise you. But when you flip over to the New Testament and Jesus steps onto the scene, women were considered second-class citizens. For 4,000 years, every Jewish child was taught that man is master over all. Women in the law were legally subordinate to men. In the home, in the temple, her role was to simply obey him without question. In Jesus' day, women received no formal education. That was reserved for men only. And Jewish rabbis, in other words, teachers, they were actually taught, don't even speak to a woman. Don't even speak to her. In fact, this is going to blow your mind. If you were a devout, God-fearing Jewish male, you were taught to pray a morning prayer every morning after you got married for the rest of your life. And it went like this. If you're a Jewish male, you go to bed, you wake up next to your wife, whew, and before you even get up, before you go to temple or work, you prayed a morning prayer. It was called the Baraka. And you were to thank God audibly for three things. You say, thank you, God, that you did not make me a Gentile, non-Jew. God, I thank you that you didn't make me a slave. I'm a free man. And God, I thank you that you did not make me a woman. That was the morning prayer every Jewish man recited. Now, I want you to imagine if you were the wife laying next to him. Every morning for the rest of your life, you would wake up and hear the first words passing over your beloved's lips. God, I thank you you didn't make me like her. And then it dawned on you, a Gentile could convert, a slave could be emancipated, but you could never change 
being female. That's the culture that Jesus steps into in the first century. Women had few legal rights. Their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. Under law, they were considered unreliable witnesses, and this is a special kind of crazy, okay? According to the rabbinic school of Hillel, a man could legally divorce his wife if she burned his dinner. How's that for a happy meal, okay, right? <laughs> Guys, into this suffocating, stifling culture steps Jesus Christ, who is born into a backwater town in Israel called Nazareth, and God picks an unmarried, pregnant teenage girl named Mary to introduce his son to the world. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus radically overturned these social taboos surrounding women, like that time where he, he befriended the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? We looked at this a few weeks ago. He healed women. He taught women. He allowed women to touch him, anoint his feet with oil, their hair. He pointed to women as models of what it means to know God. He'd be like, look at this woman. She gave all she had. This is what generosity to God is like. Look at this woman, the way she prays. She's so persistent. She relies on her father. Guys, that's what I want you to be like. That blew people's minds. That a male rabbi would point to a woman as a model of faith. They weren't even allowed to open the Torah or read them, let alone model them to men. Two of Jesus' closest friends were women, Mary and Martha, who were like his sisters and supported his ministry. And maybe most scandalous of all, after Jesus died on the cross, buried for three days, after he bodily resurrection, he rose from the dead. Who's the first person he chooses to be the witness? A woman. A woman named anybody? Mary. Yeah, Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Remember this. A woman's testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. She was an unreliable witness. And Jesus says, I choose you, Mary, to deliver the message of my resurrection from the dead to the world. <laughs> And Mary becomes the first apostle. Apostle is somebody who delivers or preaches the good news. She runs and she tells disciples, he's alive. I've seen him. Where are the men, by the way? They're hiding in the attic, right? They're nervous. They're scared. But the woman bursts in. This was revolutionary, guys. The whole gospel, our faith is staked on the testimony of a woman, formerly demon-possessed. <laughs> right? Think about that. It's crazy. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus it turned the ancient world on its head. The Bible says it was like the cross tore down the dividing wall of hostility between the sexes. Jesus forever obliterated all the ugly isms of the world. You know the isms, right? Sexism, right? Chauvinism, uh, you know, jerk, jerkyism, whatever, whatever you want to. It was the sacrifice of your savior for both men and women that inspired these thundering words. In Galatians 3, Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Let's read this together. Male nor female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Does anybody notice something? Does anything sound familiar? Gentile, slave, female. Gentile, slave, female. Gentile, slave, female. <laughs> what was that? Where have we heard those words before? This was a direct rebuke to the Jewish prayer that every man prayed for 4,000 years. God, thank you. I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And after Jesus comes, Paul says, guess what? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Y'all are what? One in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's equality 
There's unity, and it literally blew the ancient world apart. Nobody had ever articulated this view in human history. It said because of Christ, there's no longer an ethnic divide. There's no longer a, a, you know, a, a, a class divide, slave or free. And there's no longer a gender divide. You're all one in Christ Jesus made in his image to be brothers and sisters. And that revolutionary concept, guys, it set the ancient world on fire. The gospel of Jesus gave women a new status that announced they were equal in value, worth, and dignity in the eyes of God. Men and women became brothers and sisters in Christ, not designed to compete, but to complement each other as they serve the Lord. The gospel of Jesus gave women a newfound respect. It was very interesting. It transformed marriages. Jewish men who converted to Christianity, they said, okay, now that I follow Jesus, how should I treat my wife? <laughs> and they pointed to the cross. They said, well, what did Jesus do for his bride, <laughs> the church? He died for her, baby, right? The definition of leadership was turned on its ear because leadership was no longer defined by power and position, but by service and self-sacrifice. Jesus called men to lovingly lay down their lives for their brides, their families, their church. And guys, at this time, it was nothing short of world-changing. The gospel of Jesus gave women a brand new opportunity. Women were eventually welcomed into church meetings of the early Christians and permitted to actually open the Torah, read the scriptures, and learn God's word, and joyfully use their God-given gifts to serve their risen Savior. So you thank God for the gospel, amen? It changed the world for women forever. In fact, let's read Galatians 3 together. It's such a powerful verse. Big, loud voice, church. Here we go. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, it'd be kind of crazy for me to stand up here going on about biblical womanhood <laughs> without hearing from some real-life women. And you're in for a tree. I want to invite to our stage three real-life female leaders who deeply impacted our church. They're my partners in ministry, your sisters in Christ. And they've really had a profound impact. Their fingerprints are all over this ministry. And I want to invite them up so you can just learn from their firsthand experience. So would you please welcome to the stage Pastor Karen Shannon, Hosil Siegel, and Kyra Montañez. Give them a hand. Come on up, ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad you ladies are willing to come up. This is going to be like Oprah, okay? This is like The View. I want to interview you guys. And most of you know these ladies, but if not, I'll introduce them real quick. Karen Shannon serves as our discipleship pastor. What does that mean, Karen? What do you do? I get the privilege of working with an amazing team of individuals who help people take their next step in their walk with Christ. That includes our small group system, our prayer and care teams, our outreach ministry, our special needs ministry, and Hosil and I get to serve on the lead team with you guys to set direction and strategy for the church. It's been a joy. Awesome. Hosil is our liquid family pastor. And you've served here eight years on staff. Tell us a little bit about what you're responsible for. I have. Um, so I also serve on staff um, with an amazing team from family and high school. We oversee um, from birth our littlest ones, our babies, all the way through high school. And the, the unique and beautiful thing about being here for eight years is that we've been able to just see God's goodness and life change over and over and over again. Awesome. We're so grateful for you. And Kyra, as you know, is the face of the 411. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what else you do, Kyra. So I am the campus coordinator here in Morris County, and what that means is that I oversee most of our dream teams, with the exception of Liquid Kids. I oversee the leaders that lead those teams, so we're talking about over 500 volunteers, and I also serve as part of the campus leadership team in Morris County. 
Awesome. Now, you also work with Spanish translation. Como I, se dice Wonder Woman? You say Mujer Maravilla. Mujer Maravilla. Okay. Before we jump into leadership, first off, I, did you guys see, all see Wonder Woman? Absolutely. Good, because that would be very awkward, right? Um, <laughs> what, I just want to know, blank impressions, what did you think of the movie? I really loved it. Um, you know, I grew up on the Linda Carter version of oh, yeah, Wonder yeah. Woman, which was a little one-dimensional. <clears throat> Here is a multi-dimensional, as you said, she is compassionate, vulnerable, super strong. But then I love her humility as she's discovering yeah. her gifts and everything. She's the full package. It was great. What resonated with you, Hosel? Well, I loved Wonder Woman as well. And ever since I was a little girl, I've always had this thing where I'm trying to figure out what's special about me. Yeah. I think we all do, right? And so that search for significance. And so I think the, the character in Wonder Woman, the thing that I love about her is that it's not self-serving. She's actually wanting to be a part of something bigger. And mm. so that's what really resonated with me. How about you, Kyra? For me, it's that she has been given so much, not only with her superpowers, but also really cool tools like the lasso of truth. And she wouldn't be who she is if she didn't do it right and use those for good. And that really resonates with me as well. And I have seen you use a lasso of truth on Jose, right? Totally. I've seen, I've seen that uh, over there a couple of times. Tell us quickly a little bit about your journey with Jesus, because Karen and Kyra, you were in ministry. In fact, before you had a pretty robust career in the marketplace. Kyra, tell us about that. Sure. So I grew up in Puerto Rico. I went to law school there. And for a little bit over eight years, I worked as a labor and employment attorney at a law firm. I did work that really I enjoyed and inspired me. And I continued to do so even after the birth of my first daughter. Awesome. Whose birthday is today, I should say. Yay. <laughs> Kyra? Uh, yeah, so I've had an amazing journey. God's opened a lot of doors of opportunity for me over my lifetime. Started my career as an English teacher, then moved into the corporate world and worked in marketing and uh, sales, then into management, and then served for many years as part of an executive management team for a transportation planning agency with a $40 million budget. Uh, we had a board of elected officials and government officials. Um, that was, uh, I worked there for many years. Well, let me ask you this. How did ministry become a calling for you? And what I mean by that is you discovered, hey, you have gifts, you have leadership talents that are being used in the marketplace, but you decided to invest them in the church, building God's kingdom. Where did that calling happen? I think for me, uh, I became a believer later in life. And when I understood Jesus's love for me and the way that uh, I found my identity in him, it was a no-brainer. It was really set, uh, trying to set others free and help others find that identity. So he opened doors for me to go to seminary and get a degree in biblical counseling so that I can help people find that freedom and yeah. be who Christ created them to be. Awesome. Kyra, how about you, that calling moment? For me, I worked, walked with the Lord for a really long time. And after I had my first daughter, my husband and I had our second son, who, as most of you know, have Down syndrome. And it was uh, with the birth of my son that God just did such an incredible work in my own life. And I felt his calling into what I fondly refer to as a faith adventure to New Jersey, where he brought us here. And in that journey, he brought us to Liquid. And I just fell in love with Liquid. I fell in love with what they were doing, not only with the special needs ministry, but just in our communities. And, and I knew I didn't know how or I didn't know what, but I knew that I wanted to place my gifts uh, at Liquid and work here. Awesome. 
Now, Hosil, you grew up in the church and kind of a culture, church culture. I was pretty dominated by males. Can you tell us a little about that, the good, the bad, the ugly? Yes, so um, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in a very traditional Korean church. Um, My mom um, and dad, it was a mom and pop church, so they did everything. And growing up, I just saw my mom in roles where she would be serving behind the scenes. Like women, you would see them in the kitchen um, or in the choir or playing the organ. That was about the the three (laughs) that you were allowed. Um, But growing up, you know, as a child, it really kind of disturbed me. It frustrated Mm. me to see that my mom is just doing these things behind the scenes, cleaning, you know, cleaning up after church or getting ready and whatnot. Um, Yet definitely left a question in my heart. (laughs) Yeah. What Hussle's describing is known as kind of a hierarchical view of women in ministry. There's really three views of women in ministry. And the hierarchical view would say that, hey, leadership positions in the church really are reserved only for men. Um, Women can serve, but the roles of pastor or elder, that's really for men only. And um, like the Catholic Church would be hierarchical. And so they would point to the fact that like Jesus chose 12 apostles. They were all men, right? And so the hierarchical uh, view is kind of restrictive towards women. Now, Karen, the, the churches that you attended were a little bit more balanced. Tell us about them. Well, it's evolutionary for me. My spiritual journey started in the Catholic Church, and then my parents became believers, and they went to a brethren church where my mom would wear a head covering, was not allowed to speak in church. But then Bob, my husband, and I attended an evangelical free church where we were both able to be leaders. We were both on the board. He was a deacon. I was a deaconess. But women could not be pastors or elders in that church. Now, what she's describing is called the complementarian view of women, okay? Complementarians would say, hey, men and women are equal, but they have different roles to play. And so women can serve, they can teach Sunday school, they can lead worship, they can lead ministries, but the roles of spiritual authority, like pastor or elder, are reserved for men. That's kind of where complementarians would draw that line. And it's interesting because if you're sitting here and you're like, you know, where does that come from? Just, you know, guys making the rules. Where that comes from biblically, both hierarchical, complementarian views of of women in the church, they would point to a passage like 1 Timothy 2, uh, in which the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, a woman should learn. Would you throw this up on the screen so we could read it together? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And, you know, let's be honest, right? I mean, that first glance seems pretty harsh and restrictive. But there are kind of three views of of a verse like this. Hierarchical would take this just very literally. It's like, hey, this is a a binding command. It's pretty obvious what it's saying. You know, for all churches at all times, women need to be quiet. So if you're like a hierarchical kind of Christian, you're even nervous right now that you guys are sitting on stage. You're like, where's the head covering? Um, But uh, complementarians would say, well, no, no, women can't teach or have authority, but they can serve in other uh, other roles. But there's a third view called the egalitarian view. And Kyra, that kind of describes the church you grew up in. Tell us about it. Yeah, so back in Puerto Rico, I was blessed to be part of an incredible church where women were pastors or still are pastors to this day. They taught, they preached, they were elders. And, you know, growing up in that kind of church environment for 30, over 30 plus years, it never really dawned on me to consider any other way. So it's kind of that Galatians 3 uh, emphasis lived out. Really lived it out that there's no female or male, but that we're really one in Christ. So egalitarians would look at a verse like 1 Timothy 2, and they would say, hey, uh, it's not that that's not true, but there's a cultural context to that. In other words, it's not a binding command for all churches of all time, but it was written specifically for the church in that culture. 
And sure enough, if you look like at 1 Timothy, that was written to the church at Ephesus. At Ephesus, this is where the gospel's brand new, right? The only religion there was the temple of Artemis or Diana. And it was led, it was a fertility cult actually led by female priests. And so when Paul's writing this to Timothy, he's writing this actually to combat false teaching. He's saying, hey, we have new believers, sisters in Christ are coming in. But remember, they've had no education at this point, right? So when Paul writes these words, now watch the words with this context in mind. When he says, a woman should learn, stop there. People would have been like, a woman should learn? Paul, you're a liberal. You are so progressive. That, that idea that a woman should be actually allowed to open the scriptures and learn was revolutionary. And when he says, in quietness and full submission, I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority over men, she must be quiet. In other words, that's the cultural command, but the broader principle is when somebody's new to the faith and they have no grounding in scripture, probably best that they don't teach the Bible or lead the church until they actually have that foundation. So egalitarians would see a view like this and say, yeah, well, this is a cultural, it's not binding on all churches for all time. So the modern church today, the role of pastor is open to both men and women. That's the egalitarian view. And I want to get those out there so you have a little bit about idea about that, how we approach it. The idea that leadership is based on gifting, not gender. Does that make sense? Shake your head if you're kind of tracking. So as you see here at Liquid, we have male and female pastors. We, we love serving and leading together as one team. This is more of our practice. But I do need to tell you, like, we don't, we're not, like, hardcore about this. Like, we don't have a policy paper written on this issue. So it, wherever you come from, we welcome people in this church who, like, hold to all three different views. We believe we can all still love Jesus. We can all still get along. And we really think that's the strength of our church, that we can disagree. We can have different views and still love Jesus. Because at Liquid, for us, this is a secondary issue about which we're open-handed. I think this is important for you to get, if you're, especially if you're new to our church. We're open-handed about secondary issues but we're closed-handed about primary issues. That's a very short list. In fact, there's about five things that were closed-handed, meaning they're not up for debate, and they all revolve around Jesus. That the virgin birth of Jesus, that he was the sinless son of God, that's the deity of Jesus. That he really died on the cross, and that was a sacrifice for your sins. That's how you're saved. That he was raised from the dead, bodily resurrected, and that he's coming again. Those are the five core issues that we're closed-handed about. In other words, they're not up for debate. They're never changing. We hold fast to that. We'll fight you for it. <laughs> but all the other issues are secondary issues, and there's a lot of them. A lot of secondary issues orbit around Christianity, and there's different opinions about them. Like, um, like speaking in tongues, right? So we got people in this church who speak in tongues, some who don't, some who are kind of freaked out about that. But we're open-handed about it because it's not a salvation issue. It's not about Jesus. The role of women is one of those secondary issues. And we're like, you know what? Well-meaning, Jesus-loving, Bible-reading Christians can agree to disagree. We can have different perspectives on this, and we're all going to go to heaven, and Jesus will settle it for us. Is that okay? Does that sound good? That's kind of our closed-handed, open-handed approach to secondary issues of practice like this. We really think like what unites us, right, is greater than what divides us. So, Hosel, as a ministry leader, tell us a little bit, what are kind of like the biggest challenge that you see facing women today? Um, I think that the biggest challenge for us today is probably this idea that I am not enough. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we got to take 58 high schoolers and leaders on a missions trip, our first missions trip to the Dominican Republic. Um, toward the end of the week, we got to spend a whole entire day with this beautiful um, girls' orphanage started by Mama Dalma, as she's fin fondly um, called. Um, but 
The thing about this um, girls' orphanage is that at the end of the day, they got to share their stories. Yep. Um, so they, one by one, they went up to share with us what was um, how they got there. And um, the sad truth of it is that each one of these girls have one thing in common, and that is that they've all been abused in some way or form. In fact, um, there was the one girl, the original girl, and the reason why Mama Dama had actually started this ministry was because um, she was rescued from a situation where um, um, Tarina has Down syndrome and the parents were ashamed of this. And so instead of keeping her in the home, they actually put her outside with the dogs in the dog house. And so she grew up on all fours, um, even eating out of a bowl. And so um, even the neighbors actually didn't even know that she was you know, around. Um, and so I, what, what society has told these girls is pretty much that you are not enough. You are not enough. I can beat you. You are not, not enough. I can sexually abuse you. Um, so fast forward now. Our teens are experiencing these testimonies. They come. And so um, our teenagers, we have this thing called a smartphone, and everything is at our fingertips. Social media is telling our girls that I am not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not valuable enough. I'm not unique enough. And that is the biggest struggle, I think, that for our society today is that it all happens in this little mind space that I am not enough. The battle is up here, the mentality of that. Karen, you want to add to that? Yeah, I love that that's what you're working on in high school because I speak to women every day who agree with that. Uh, I grew up, again, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but there was an old perfume commercial that used to go, I can... Uh, Fry up the bacon, bring it home in a pan, and never let you forget you're a man. Oh, because I remember I'm this, a woman. right? I, I remember right? that. Singing that. Uh, but that puts a lot of pressure on yeah. women, and you talked about that before, which is so important uh, because, you know, my granddaughters are here today, and mm -hmm. I want them to know that in Christ they are enough. Amen. And that uh, as followers and daughters of the King, look, Kyra, Hosil, and I are very different, but we can yep. be who. Christ created us to be because he loves us so very much. And I really think that's an important message that women can't hear enough today. Amen, amen. Um, let's talk a little bit just quickly about balance, you know, work, life, ministry, kids. I mean, I think the temptation, a lot of people look up here and say, hey, here are three very, you know, successful women. You know, you are each married, you've got kids, you lead ministries, you oversee staff, you serve and pray with thousands of people every week. Uh, Kyra, how do you juggle all those roles and responsibilities? I mean, the honest answer is I don't. I don't do it all, and okay. if I do, I don't do it well. Uh, there are a lot of seasons in my life where I've had to focus more on work, and then other seasons where I've had to focus more on my family and my kids, and I constantly feel guilty, and I'm feeling like I'm failing at both ends of the spectrum, very much feeling inadequate all the time. But at the end of the day, you know, I lay on my pillow, and all those thoughts of feeling guilty, of like a failure or inadequacy, I exchange them for Christ's invitation of daily peace into my life. And so I, resting all of that at the cross and at the feet of Jesus gives me my superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must have had spiritual role models in your life who were like Wonder Woman impacted you. I mean, I certainly did. My mom actually is my Wonder Woman. She <laughs> really uh, taught me how to model for my own kids, how to make their, how, how to allow them to make their faith their own. And that's something that I'm currently navigating with my own nine-year-old. And she's here in the audience, so if you guys allow me, I do have to say it in Spanish. Madre querida, eres mi mujer maravilla favorita. Aww. So what that means is she's my favorite Wonder Woman. Let's hear it, Dad. 
Mujer Maravilla. Hostel, how about you? Yes, um, so I would have to say that my mom too is my Wonder Woman. And um, as I described earlier, kind of the frustration that I felt seeing my mom do these things behind the scenes, what I realized is that we are, um, you know, gifted in different ways. Um, I do not look like Wonder Woman up here. <laughs> I much prefer to be behind the scenes doing my thing than sure. being up here. But um, my mom has really taught me that because yeah. she did that with such gentleness. Yeah. And she knew that she was following the Lord. What humility too there, right? What resources, we're kind of out of time, but let me just ask you in closing, what resources, um, you know, just have kind of enriched your walk with Jesus? What can you recommend to the women here, even the men as well? I think a foundational book for me uh, has been The Return of the Prodigal Son, Henry Nouwen. If you haven't read it, uh, helps you secure that identity as sons and daughters of Christ. Awesome. Hussel? Um, I think that our greatest resource is actually usually sitting across um, right in front of us, and that's the women in our circles. I think that we don't do enough to call out the good in each other, and we really just need to take time and um, be able to just walk through the messiness of life with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Kyra, recommended resource to grow spiritually? Yeah, I love She Reads Truth. It started as a hashtag. It became a website and an app, and it's a devotional that's uh, designed to teach women how to engage with the word intellectually, emotionally, but ultimately prayerfully. SheReadsTruth.com? SheReadsTruth.com, yeah. Awesome. Um, oh, I just want to personally thank each of you for your partnership in ministry. We love serving together. We're close friends. And um, I think you could say, you know, quite simply, our church would not be as um, emotionally healthy, as spiritually vibrant if it wasn't for your modeling, you know, godly female leadership. And I want to thank you as well as the dozens of female leaders at every campus who serve on our staff and our volunteer teams. Can we thank the women for serving and sharing really your heart, your slice of your story. Thank you guys for that. Let's do this. Let's all stand together, men and women. Can we do that? Let's serve together. Uh, and Pastor Karen, can I ask you to pray us out? Father God, we love you so much, and we are so thankful, Lord, that in you we live and move and have our being, Father. We thank you that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor uh, free or man nor woman, but we are one in your sight. We are sons and daughters. So as we leave here today, we pray that your spirit would go with us and that we would love others the way that we love you, radically and mercifully. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Can we thank them one more time? Thank you, ladies.